What's up, people, and welcome to Over the Top. We're back to unpack the latest matches in the Premier League. It's Match Week 26, and um, I don't really know some other matches this time around. I'm Kyle, and I've got my man Justin here. What's up, man? What is up, Kyle? On my on my sheet here, it says 29, I believe. So I think they were pulled forward from Match Week 29, and then 33 for the Fulham Tottenham one. I don't know. It's it's freaking confusing, man. Are you confused? I'm confused. We're all confused. Yeah, I mean, some really really interesting results in this match week 26 plus question mark match week. It's uh man, you know, it makes it makes us think back two episodes ago when we made our predictions on who's definitely in, who's a maybe, or I guess I don't think we used the word definitely. Who's probably in, who's a maybe and who's likely out. Um of that top four race of that top four race and we'll just do a little tease one of those teams is falling fast kyle oh fast. not only is one of those teams falling one the the one team we put in probably in or likely in is the one that's tanking fast free falling kyle absolutely no free falling no parachute what four four home losses in a row the form tables looking like l w l l l Five home losses in a row after going 68 unbeaten. Pretty incredible, man. Pretty, pretty incredible. Pretty crazy, honestly. I mean, I just don't know what to make of this. I mean, it's it's a weird year. I mean, it's going to be a year talked about for a long time. I mean, we had, what, at most 2,000 fans-ish in one of these games. We had it for a little bit. <laughs> for like two weeks. <laughs> for two weeks. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, COVID's back. <laughs> oh, COVID's yeah. back just back and terrible again so yeah uh, and the team who goes 68 matches unbeaten at home ends up losing five in a row and then the team who goes 20 plus games unbeaten uh not unbeaten but wins in a row starts off the season what 10 matches into the game in 10th place people already writing him off and asking pep what what's gone wrong it's crazy so yeah i guess let's we never wrote Manchester City off. We always have to caveat this. We, you and I, as the brilliant as we are, we never, ever, and this is not sarcastic, ever wrote City off. And it's smart because they beat West Ham 2-1 to one, um, in match week 26. So what we're going to do this episode is cover all of the matches that have happened between last episode and this episode, which is match week 26 and question mark match week. Um and so 26 will probably be a little quicker. We will go into some anecdotes like we will with the City game and some of the other games, but probably more time spent on the more recent matches, especially with the matches that happened today. So, Kyle, to get back to it, Manchester City played West Ham. They won 2-1 to one over West Ham, which made it, at the time, 20 straight wins in a row for Manchester City. Um which is pretty crazy. I mean, good to go 20 straight and anything is pretty incredible. Losses or wins, but wins being a little bit harder. Um, I will say, though, in this match, this is one of the only times I've seen this for Manchester City this season. They lost the XG battle, Kyle, to West Ham. Yeah, pretty shocking. Not only that, they had under one XG for the entire match, which is really unlike Manchester City. And also their defense giving up 1.6 XG to West Ham is also pretty unlike them. But you know, West Ham, they had a handful of clear-cut chances, didn't really put them away, but it's not like City was putting it on a plate for West Ham anyway. So, uh, But, you know, the one thing that stood out to me in this game, 
Because, I mean, look, we could say the same thing about Manchester City over and over. At this point, you know, I don't really know what else to say about them. We're not bringing anything else new to the table. So what stuck out to me was that West Ham played really well in this game. I mean, you you and I were talking offline about this good defensive shape that they have and this discipline that they, uh, it's not just in their back line, but as a whole team, the structure is just, it's great. It's really good. I, I came away, I mean, you almost expect every team to get obliterated by Manchester City, so anything uh, besides that is like, oh, that team looks good. Uh, right. <laughs> so I came away with West Ham, like, oh, they looked good. Um, Jesse Lingard, Kyle. He's played in a few matches for West Ham. And in this match, I didn't think he was out of his depth, Kyle. I thought he, he was on the build-up for the first goal. He's contributing. He's in the box and dangerous. Um, you know, on Manchester United, he was so ass. But is this the refresher he really needed to kick back his uh, or to kickstart his career again? Yeah, he seems like the kind of player who needs confidence or needs someone to just make him feel like he's awesome. And I'm I'm not saying that to criticize him or anything. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, what I'm saying is this is the same kind of Lingard that we saw at Manchester United, where the one manager who really put faith in him was. Of all people, Jose Mourinho, you know, and under Jose for about a season or a season and a half, Lingard was uh, popping up with really important goals left and right. He'd usually disappear and then score an important uh, cup final goal or something like that. And, you know, say what you want about Jesse Lingard, but he's a pretty good finisher and he gets in dangerous areas and he knows what he's doing in the box. And I'm seeing this David Moyes team really utilize him to the best of his abilities and he's just sort of floating uh in behind the striker and he's been you know in what 10 games or something he has uh close to five goals i think maybe four overall yeah and pretty impressive that was five or more so you've almost won the bet and games left for west ham so not looking good for me what west ham they did a lot right especially from open play defending what they really struggled with this game was obviously their set piece defending and the second balls off the set piece so while they did defend the first ball from the corner they clear it city gets it right back and de bruyne delivers an excellent ball to ruben diaz for the first goal and then the second goal they don't mark john stones very well and he has i will say a nice finish for john stones um for the second goal and the eventual winner so some things to work on for sure, but overall I would say a positive result for West Ham and they can keep their heads up and a lot to move on with. Um, Manchester City, I mean, they're just a roller, you know, a freight train. There's not much to say week in and week out. I will say with this win, Pep Guardiola was, took the fewest matches in the English top flight to win 200. He got 200 wins in out of 273 matches, Kyle. So that's over... Uh, a two wins out of three games pace, which is pretty remarkable. I think the next closest was Jose Jose Mourinho at 306 matches. So uh, Jose's not going to like that. No, no, I can't imagine he's going to like that, but really impressive Manchester city, you know, dominant on the pitch and off the pitch with their big massive war chest. So I don't have anything else, anything else on city Kyle. No, you pretty much spoke the truth on Manchester city. One thing I will say though, uh, to sort of piggyback off of that and add to the whole Pep, uh, the Pep train we're going on. Uh, he's totally changed the Premier League. I mean, honestly, ever since he's come to Manchester City, it's taken an incredible Liverpool team to, um, you know, take the title out of Manchester City's hands. I mean, in that first 
uh, year with Pep. They were not quite up to snuff. They had uh, Joe Hart in goal, and Pep was still, you know, trying to form the team in his shape. But ever since he's come into the league, every team is trying to play a possession-based attacking football style. And so, you know, I think for the neutral, you got to love Pep in Manchester City because he's changed. Yeah, there's a lot fewer defensive low-block teams in the Premier League nowadays, and I think that can be credited to Pep. So good on him. Well, from riches to rags, Kyle, from City down to West Brom. Uh, West Brom beat Brighton 1-0 uh, in this game. And uh, wow. What a ridiculous game, man. Yeah. Well, I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything like what happened in this match. I mean, here, you, you should take it away. All right, all right, all right. So a lot happened. Number one. First thing to say, West Brom wore their best jerseys and Brighton wore their worst. Um, you can tell me which one was better or worse off of that. Um, number two, Brighton had two penalties in this game. Um, so I will say Brighton won, of course, like they always do. And we mentioned this on the podcast. They won the XG battle um, 2.6 to 0.5. So you mean, oh, what went wrong? So they had two penalties. They missed them both. One Pascal Gross, he hit off the crossbar. Unfortunately, we were not doing the crossbar challenge. We were playing a game, so it did not count. And the second one, Danny Welbeck uh, hit the post, and it bounced off and like almost hit him in the face. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that just kind of summed up how Brighton's went uh, day went. But, Kyle, that was not nearly the most crazy thing that happened in that match. Um, the craziest thing was that Brighton had a set piece near the top of the outside the box, and Lewis Dunk was going to take it. He asked the referee, can I take the kick? Referee said, I can, you can take the kick. Blew the whistle. Lewis Dunk took the kick, went into the back of the net. Right before it went into the back of the net, the referee blew his whistle and said, nope, does not count. They were like, what the hell? You told me you could take it. Blah, blah, blah. They all huddled around the referee. Referee decided, oh, you know what? Goal stands. 1-1, West Brom, Brighton. Then VAR enters the picture. They entered the chat. They said, oh, 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 hold the phone. We need to take a look at this. And so they deemed that the whistle was blown right before the ball went into the net. So it does not count. doesn't matter if the whistle was accidental or not. So it was ruled by VAR that the kick had to be retaken. Um, and... Brighton players sounded off after the match with Lewis Dunk, the guy, the captain, and the free kick taker saying, embarrassing decision. Why doesn't the ref come and speak to the press like we have to? So, Kyle, what do you make of this mess? It was confusing. It was confusing. I'm actually amazed that you managed to explain the situation, like the situation for dummies, because that's really kind of what it takes, because I've never seen a match where the commentary on the game couldn't really tell you exactly what was going on. No one really knows why VAR is intervening or anything like that. Um, and I'm still confused at why the play just didn't go ahead as it should have. Because if the referee play, you know, if he blows a whistle, you know, game on. So he can't stop the play and then stop the play. So it's the fact that VAR had to be brought in to that when it really should have mattered in the first place. I mean. Yeah, it's a joke. There are calls, you know, saying, should Lee Mason, the referee, should he retire? And, you know, on social media, they totally overreact. But I've never seen a referee lose complete control of a situation like that. It was it was crazy. Complete control. It was a total... I mean, there's no other explanation besides it was a huge error. 
It was. I don't like anything intentional by any stretch. I think it just lost control, huge error, blew the whistle. Yeah. And the look got- on it. The, the look on his face said it was an error, too. I mean, he looked glum and, like, he was sweating in the moment and kind of felt bad for him, but at the same time, like, dude, that was... Your premier... Straight up costing... I would say cost costing Brighton the game, but at the same time, they missed two penalties, so it's kind of hard to empathize with them, you know what I mean? Right, and it's Brighton, so fuck them. But at the same time, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's brutal, and it's, I don't think we'll ever give as much airtime uh, to West Brom or Brighton if this didn't happen, but... It had the God chose this game, and so we have to speak of it. Their time to shine. We didn't blast in outer space, and that's that's a, enough of a, a compliment, I guess. Yeah, boy. All right, moving on. I, I can't I can't say another West Brom. Um, no thanks. United, Kyle uh, lost one nil to Aston Villa, Kyle, and I thought a pretty even game, to be honest with you. Um, don't have a lot of thoughts. You know, we gave a lot of thoughts in our first two games, so we'll probably blitz through these next games to get to the most recent games. But um, El Ghazi scored a really nice goal here. He kind of slipped and then regained his composure to finish into the corner. Um, and really back and forth first half, really entertaining one no game. And then the second half, uh, Matt Target on Aston Villa was on a fucking rampage. You know, talk like, uh, what do you do? Crazy. Uh, stomped on Rafinha's Achilles in like the second half, didn't get his second yellow because he's already on a yellow. And then he like tackled Pablo Hernandez and still didn't get a yellow. It was kind of entertaining to watch. He was like an, he was like an old man. That was just rude. Yeah. Um, but Villa came away with three points. Leeds, I mean, Leeds are up and down. I have no, they're fun to watch, you know, like no qualm. Like they're going to be fine, but like it's so. Yeah. Look, I think I think Leeds have earned a lot of, uh, I guess, secondary fans where their second favorite team is Leeds. But, you know, I think every single game that we've covered Leeds, we've said the same thing. They blow hot and cold. Sometimes they, you know, just show up kind of dull and don't put in any goals. But whenever it's clicking, um, you know, they're capable of scoring four or five goals in any match. But a team that is not and never will score five goals in a match, Newcastle, actually did get a goal in this game, but they tied 1-1 to Wolves. Um... You know, the main takeaway from this game actually has to do with the players they lost. So let's try to cover some other things first. Uh, there was a good, a really nice headed goal for Newcastle in this game. Um, you know, Dubrovka should have done much better on uh, Neves's goal. Uh, that's really kind of, in terms of the play, all there is to report. But Justin, Newcastle, they lack quality. They have Callum Wilson, Almarone. And Alan St. Maximan is probably the only quality in that attacking center of the pitch. All three out injured. St. Maximan goes off in this game out until April. Almarone also goes off. Uh, I don't really know how much longer Calum Wilson is hurt, but yikes. Is Joe Linton the answer? <laughs> Kyle, is Joe Linton the answer? Don't give me those bullshit questions. What are we doing? Of course he's not the answer, Kyle. Um... You just had As of middle of February, Callum Wilson was scheduled to come back mid-April. Now, we don't know what his progress will be, but that's really rough because that's Fulham, even though Newcastle have now a game in hand, when we'll get to that, Fulham are only three points behind Newcastle. And that's a problem because Newcastle have been playing poorly and Fulham have been playing pretty decently. And so that's a big problem. So something needs to happen. Someone needs to step up. I don't know if that's... I'm laughing because I'm about to say these names. Uh, Ryan Fraser or Joe Linton or John Joe Shelby. 
Andy uh, Carroll. Oh yeah, Andy Carroll. Um, I don't know who needs to step up, but somebody fucking needs to step up soon, or else they're they might be gone, Kyle. Yeah, no kidding. And talking to spout, talking about stepping up, Fulham is also one of those teams that needs that to happen. They've played really well. You know, we talked a little bit about how uh, they've been one of the form teams the second half of the season. This was their chance to to jump Newcastle or get close to it. They're playing a uh, Crystal Palace team in some pretty poor form, but Justin, they just can't score. Nil nil against Crystal Palace. Uh, Palace has only point one xg. Fulham has one xg. They just can't finish their chances. They're going to need to if they want to survive. They couldn't finish their chances, Kyle. It's really shame because that that is two points missed. You're absolutely right because point one xg. That's pathetic. And Palace, I will say we haven't given this given this enough airtime this season, but they have been absolutely decimated by injuries this season in different parts of the season. So, um, yeah, just brutal. Um, Palace is such a tough watch, Kyle. Honestly, like every time I sit down and watch an ounce of Palace football, I want to gouge my eyes out. It's just what Roy Hodgins does to you, but it's semi-successful, Kyle. So, who Yeah, am I? but I mean, it's it's somewhat successful when you have uh, Wilfred Zaha, which it's it amazes me that he's still on Crystal Palace. And Palace without... You know, Palace Sands Zaha, they're going to get under one XG probably <laughs> every single game or hope that uh, Eze, you know, pulls something out from his hat. So, you know, other than yeah, that, I mean, they just they lack quality. They do. And they're the second most injury hit. Like if you look at the entire season, they've missed the second most minutes of injuries all season, if that makes sense. Um, mm. But. I mean, obviously, they're more important players than others, and Wilfried Zaha is clearly their most important player. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I'm, yeah. Moving on, Kyle. Um, a team I've shouted on all season, Arsenal. Uh, they went to Leicester and took it to them, Kyle. Uh, three to one. Played really well. Uh, had some. Uh, had a penalty. Had some. Willian sightings where he had a really good ball to David Luiz on a set piece that. David Luiz was, I don't know, for some reason not marked and got a nice header goal and then some shit around the box where Willian just passed it into Pepe, I think, or someone else mm-hmm. for the third yeah, goal. Yeah, right, for the third goal. Uh, I mean, Tielemann had a nice early goal in this game for Leicester, but really Leicester, who have been struggling a bit lately, could not afford another injury, and that's what they exactly what they got with Harvey Barnes going out injured and out at minimum six weeks, Kyle, which is a real shame because he's been playing super well for Leicester. He has. I mean, I, I think Barnes' stats say something like eight goals a season, six assists, or something like that. Uh, probably in discussion for, or sort of in the mix to make that England squad for the Euros. But yeah, look, I mean, I would say Vardy and Madison are more important players to their team, but at the same time, Harvey Barnes plays a position where Leicester really do not have much depth, if any at all. I mean, AOZ Perez has also been out. Um, Damari Gray went out on loan. So other than uh, Harvey Barnes are having to play Ricardo Pereira outside and, um, you know, hope Perez comes back. I think they have Mark Albrighton too. So it's pretty thin. And with him out six weeks, that's, it's tough. I, 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 um, as a neutral, I hope we're not seeing another injury hit Leicester drop like a stone at the end of the season because, um, I don't know, I kind of fear that that could potentially happen. Yeah, I fear that too. I think one thing that we should watch is should Chengi's under get more minutes, Kyle? I mean, he's a player from quality coming from Roma. He's he has, winger. 
he hasn't had much playing time, but I think in this time of desperation, and especially like the Leicester squad that has been playing, he hasn't been playing super well. Like, no, give the man a shot. I don't know. That's just personal. Well, it's it it's a weird one because I completely forgot that he was even on the team, and this is a guy on loan who has a lot of quality. He's young, he's cheeky, mm-hmm. um, and could totally play that sort of Mara's style, um, right. except probably a bit more direct and more of a goal scorer and less of a creator. So, it's a weird one. But um, one thing I will say, um, with Iheanacho, um coming in with all these injuries out wide, maybe we could see a little bit of Vardy plus Iheanacho foreshadowing. Oh, wow. Nice foreshadowing, yeah. Uh, moving on, Kyle, to uh, your beloved Spurs. Um, they blew away Burnley. Four to nil, Kylito. And mm-hmm. who, if you had to pick someone from Spurs that started, who would be your man of the match? I just want to hear it. Uh, hmm, her, let me think real quick. Uh, Gareth Bale, one assist, two goals, man of the match. Is it official? Is he back? I mean, this is probably four good performances in a row. If you're okay, I should, I should preface that by saying one of these good performances I'm saying is like 10 minutes against Manchester <laughs> and two and against like sixth place team in Austria or something like that. But you got to say Bale was quality in this game. And probably most impressive to me was that pass to Harry Kane for uh, the second goal of this match. Um, just pinged a 50, 60 yard pass um, right on Harry, right on a dime. Uh, Kane is a great touch and, you know, his finish is a slight deflection that goes over the keeper. But uh, look, Spurs looked dangerous in this game. Every time they went forward, they looked very dangerous. Lucas is playing well. Your favorite player ever, Lamella, is also playing pretty well, though he didn't start in this match. But, uh, you know, it's starting to click because at the same time, Son and Kane have not quite been on the same form that they were earlier in the season. So to have Bale play the way like this, this will give uh, Spurs players some hope. Uh, Spurs fans yeah. some hope. Yeah, I mean, players. Too. <laughs> <Hope> players. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that injection of Bale, I mean, he has quality that not many players on Spurs have, if at all. So. When he can, you know, for the fourth goal and cut in and hit that bending shot where keeper in the world can save, that that's just quality. And so that's what we wanted to see from Gareth Bale and why I've been clamoring so long to you from with your annoyances uh, that they should start Gareth Bale. And this is the exact reason why, uh, because he is able to produce this. Now, can he stay healthy and is this consistent? I think that's yet to be seen. But this is the type of performances that we wanted to see. So yeah, and gotta gotta give you credit. You've been saying to start him since like he first joined at the very beginning, and I was skeptical because he didn't look fit. But at the same time, like, what did Spurs have to lose? Why did it take until February for him to start playing? Yes, he was injured in what December and January, but he should have been playing earlier because this is a player that deep down in there, he's he's still there. He's not as fast, but the guy's world class quality. No doubt. And this, and this is a big win for Spurs, but let's not let's not get too carried away in the moment. We had this we said in their next four matches, and this is you know, a couple of weeks ago, we said they had to yep. get a minimum of ten points for them to be even in contention. So this was expected. Uh not necessarily four nil, but and a win was expected here. So more we need more of the same from Spurs. So we'll see if they can continue delivering. Uh moving on, and this one should be really quick. Chelsea and United, Kyle. Two big six clubs, two that you would think, oh, Justin and Kyle need to feature this game, yada, yada, yada. No, no, no. It was terrible. It was a snoozer. Zero, nil, nil. 
United show up for these games so consistently. And by show up, I mean, they actually walk out on the pitch because after that, I don't, I don't remember anything from the game besides that it was nil nil. I remember some Chelsea moments. I don't remember anything from United. So that's all I got. That's that's the thing. They, they, they stroll out to these big six matches and it's, they bring the other team down. The other team meets them at that low level. I mean, as soon as I was watching this game, I was feel I was wondering, this seems familiar. I feel like I've been here before. So I looked into the past matches. These are United's matches this season against the big big six clubs. Um, nil nil draws against Chelsea twice. Nil nil draw against City. Nil nil draw against Arsenal. Nil nil draw against Liverpool. You know the one game that wasn't nil nil against Tottenham, which they got shellacked six to one. Uh, so look, United have been probably the best of the rest this season, uh, sort of at large. But in these big six matches, they just they just seem hesitant and be playing within themselves. And I they never show any endeavor in these matches. So next big six match that comes up, I'm like expecting a nil nil snoozer, honestly. My favorite part of that whole monologue was the fact that you're adopting my vernacular and you said shellac. That just makes me so happy and makes my day. Um, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, until I until I say schneid regularly, I uh, I'm not quite there yet with with your with your lingo. <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, you got you got to tell the listeners what schneid means because like I had to, I had to look sh- it up. I had to look it up at some point. <laughs> you did? Oh, okay. Well, is, isn't it more of an English term? Like, you're on the schneid, like, you're on the downturn. You're on the, you know, you're on the shitter. I don't know. I don't know. I think of, like, Yiddish or something. <laughs> See, let's, let's do this live for our listeners. Schneid. Hopefully there's no any cruel, crude definitions or anything. Uh, a losing streak as in sports, usually used in the phrases, phrases on the schneid and off the schneid. There you go. There you go. There you go. I was like, I, I, I hope for you it's not like anti-Semitic or something like that. But oh, you're in the clear. <laughs> well, on that note, moving on to Sheffield United, Kyle, and they lost another game. Shut up. Uh, this time to Liverpool, who can't win any game. So something had to give, I guess. So 2-0 to Liverpool. Um, could have been easily more. Ramsdale kept this, this game as long as he what could. What a, um, what a performance. Had some, had some saves, I think five saves alone in the first half. Um, eventually, Liverpool broke through uh, soon into the second half. Curtis Jones got a rebound and just nice, calm, cool, collected finish into the left-hand corner. Um, and they snapped a four-game losing streak, Kyle, which is really un- just hard to believe that they lost four straight Premier League games. But... That's the state of this Liverpool football club, and I guess we'll see if they get their confidence back. But um, you know, we're going to cover them later in this podcast, so we'll we'll cover that more in depth then. Um, to the other side, I'm more like a mile away, I think. Uh, Goodison Park, the other part of Liverpool, where they sneaked out a win one nil against Southampton, and their only goal being really a big Pickford boot up to DCL that gets to like Sigurdsson and fed through to Richarlison for the goal, and that's really it. Um, Everton had a couple more chances, that's it. Southampton really were going for it in the second half, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Southampton, another team that's just really on the schneid, Kyle, and just... Hey. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, quality-wise, they should not be in the position that they're in, you would think, 
but just going from top of the table to where they are now and seemingly the relegation fight is pretty shocking. Well, I guess it if it's a team, it would be Southampton, but it's still shocking. No, I, I would argue it's pretty shocking as well because I feel like, you know, they're, they're comfortably mid-table, but for them to go on the sort of losing streak that they've had recently after getting smacked 9-0, which I know they had a crazy red card in like 60 seconds in or something like that. But uh, yeah, look, it didn't really take a very good Everton to show up. Um, they've been pretty dull recently, but you got to say they're grinding out wins. We'll talk a little bit more about their record later, but um, yeah, you're right. The Southampton side has way too much quality to be in the position that they're in. And the same can be said for uh, Wolves, who, you know, there's no shame in the scoreline, but they got smacked by City 4-1. Doesn't really tell the whole story of the game. Uh, Wolves were actually not that terrible in this match and uh, pretty much took a late Manchester City blitz. Uh, I believe three goals in the last 10 minutes for it to end up 4-1 since most of the game was, or much of the game was was tied 1-1. Looked like could have gone to a draw. So uh, good on Wolves. They're they're much better than their positioning says. Yeah, exactly. And Patricio had a couple good saves this game, one particularly on De Bruyne. Uh, they had a good set piece goal, Wolves did. But at the end of the day, you can't, you know, City are going to get you one way or another. And they got him in the 80th minute and then... USA youngster Otisawi, uh for the third goal was doing way too much in the box when the City press. That was just suicide. And City stole the ball, and Riyad Mahrez had a nice finish, I believe, and then it was 3-1, and then all of a sudden, Jesus had another tap-in for 4-1 off a of deflection. So, got out of hand pretty quickly, but for City, 21 straight wins, title race over. Now it's the focus is the Champions League for them. That's it for City. I mean, they have such good depth. They're they're beat squad. They're, I think their B team could challenge for top four. Kyle, I really oh one hundred percent. I I also saw some stat that um pretty by a good distance, Manchester City are the most rotated squad in the Premier League, and that just says everything you need to know about the kind of depth this team has and what a shit ton of money can can get you. But at the same time, they're not going out there and buying these massive players. They're buying young players who you know will will take on increased value over time and. Pep can work with and improve, and we're seeing this out of the city side. And I mean, they're they're just they're stupid. Yeah, thinking like Ferran Torres he hasn't played in a few weeks, but he can come on and City won't miss a beat. So, oh, crazy. Moving on, Sheffield United actually won a game. Woo! They beat Aston Villa one nil. Um, had a red card in this game. Uh, the VAR changed. I think Jagielka. Yeah, you remember that name? Phil Jagielka's mm-hmm. card from a yellow to a red. Uh, they held on for the win. Uh, McGoldrick had a nice run and goal, but I think he's the only person that can score for Sheffield. Aston Villa, Kyle, no Grealish, no party. And that kind of sums up. I think Ollie Watkins was pretty close in this game, had a couple of opportunities that were really close, but he had the, and Bertrand Troyer as well. But at the end of the day, they needed a lot to keep in this top four race. And while they could, you know, really have a nice season still, and maybe challenge for Europa, even though that's looking harder. I think we can eliminate them from top four, Kyle. Agreed. Yeah, I think the Assassin Villa team has an upward trajectory ahead of themselves because a lot of their good young attack a lot of their good attacking players are still young players who will improve. I mean, I really like Triore as a player, but you're right. Without Grealish, they don't really have that playmaker who brings everyone else into the match. So it's tough on them. Um Grealish is probably more integral to Villa than there aren't many players who are as important to their teams as Grealish is to Villa. 
he's kind of like a Pal- uh, Zaha and Palace in some ways, but Villa are obviously a much, much better team. But uh, yeah, like you said, real quick shout out to uh, McGoldrick. I mean, what a goal, man. I mean, he created that pa- uh, that goal with a raking sort of 60-yard crossfield pass uh, from deep, burst into the box last minute with a good run, great cross as well. So I uh, can't say that that often with Sheffield this season, but um, some real quality on that goal. So good for them, but they're toast, man. It's they're over. Toast. 12 points from safety, so they need, they need a lot more of those wins. Uh, Burnley Leicester Kyle tied one to one today and or yesterday I don't know today yesterday I don't know pandemic was it today no it was yesterday I yeah. think it was yesterday um I didn't even actually know it's Thursday today it was embarrassing I was like in the meeting called it a here's the deal Burnley had a lot more chances Leicester have been playing pretty poor uh Schmeichel had two great great saves in this match uh, both from Chris Wood uh one outstanding save off a of Wood header. Uh, Burnley had a really high press that was efficient against Leicester's back line, uh, particularly their midfielders, Hamza Chowdhury. Um, just an awful, terrible, disgusting back pass that turned into Burnley's goal, which made me want to throw up. So just terrible. Um, good, really good goal from Leicester to rebound from Ian Acho. Uh, took that first time past Nick Pope. That was a fantastic goal and something we need to see more of if Leicester are to keep in this top four race for sure. Um, Castagna had a beautiful cross this game to Chowdhury who fucked that up as well. So, I mean, we've had a theme here of Chowdhury messing things up. Um, And Kyle, Leicester just really injured. We just mentioned Barnes in their previous game getting off. I mean, they had Fofana on the bench today, which is good. Yossi Perez is close to coming back, but you know, James the depth has been, been in and out. James Madison's been in and out. He's going to be out for at least a couple more weeks, I think. So, you know, this has exposed their depth. And, you know, players like Hamza Chowdhury are playing and Amarte are playing and Mendy are playing. And while they're decent, they're not at the level of their starters or close to the level of the starters. So this is the problem for Leicester. Can they navigate these injuries that they had um, like they do right now like they had last season and if they if it's similar then they're doomed uh so have they learned can they adapt their system can they adapt their formation and we'll see they have ricardo that can play out right yosi perez can come back they still have telemans which is a really quality player they still have indeed this time they have some defenders so can they overcome this they have a little more depth than last time so i'm hopeful kyle yeah that that's the thing that if if i was a lesson fan i would still have hope because I, you know, their lack of depth was really exposed last season. We saw them drop like a stone. They worked on it a little bit, and they built out the team a little bit more. Again, they're struggling with injuries, but there are just certain parts of their squad where they're really light, and they're really light in the center of the pitch when a few of their midfielders go down and in the outside mid areas. So, uh, and then on top of that, you know, Vardy and Ian Asher are the only strikers they really have as well. So, uh, yeah, their lack of depth is being exposed again, but at the same time, um, it's something that could probably be addressed with just two to three signings, honestly. So lesser, lesser, closer. They are, they are closer, but yeah, not, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I think they need to go with Ian Nacho plus Vardy play with the two striker system. Ian Nacho seems like kind of striker who can sort of link play up as well. So maybe he can be kind of like the, the deeper striker, if you will. And Vardy just plays on the shoulder. So, but, um, yeah. Are you worried about Lester? I mean, they're like your adopted team. So. Are you concerned oh, you about their be, form? You have to be 
slightly worried for sure. Um, just by how they've been playing and all the injuries that they have. Um, I'm hopeful because of, you know, learning experiences from last season and right. they have a little more depth than last season for sure. That's, that's unquestioned. So, you know, you can name a starting lineup with some players and Ricardo Pereira, even though he's not a natural right mid, he has enough quality where he can play there for sure. So, 100%. um, We'll see. And hopefully they get James Justin back soon. That's a name I didn't mention either. And so he's been out recently. He was really good for them. So that's, I'm just wondering if the Europa League bounce, which was terrible for them, might be a blessing in disguise because then they have another extra three days each week for players to get healthy and rested and they can play. They don't have to rotate their squad more. They can keep playing the same 11. So that might be a blessing for them right now right yeah and i was thinking about that off air a little bit because if 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 dropping out of european competitions at this stage were to help any of the big six clubs it would help Leicester more than anyone else because they really don't have the depth of even like you know spurs and arsenal have not been great this season but they still have depth you know what i mean so uh whereas Leicester really don't so um yeah i think that was a great chance to win some some silverware for Leicester and brendan Rodgers, but um you know, I, I'm with you. I, if I was Lester, top four is priority because it's right there. It's there. It's for them to take. Yeah, uh, it's not there for Crystal Palace though, and they tied Manchester United nil nil. We just mentioned a nil nil United game, and here it is another one, and that's three straight for United. One against Real Sociedad, which they didn't have a lot to play for, to be fair. No. Uh, one against Chelsea, Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea, and one mm-hmm. against Crystal Palace, and so. Kyle, the, the discussion has to be made, or does has to be had. Does United have a goal-scoring problem? Oh. You know, I never thought about it in terms of, like, an issue with goal-scoring, but um, I would say United has an issue with consistency. And mm-hmm. the, the good form we saw them have in, what was it, like, November, October, November, January, parts, uh, you know, December, January. parts of January. I mean, that's kind of where they started hitting the the Schneid. Hey, Justin Plug right there. Um, but yeah, this United team, they just, I feel like they go through periods where they really struggle. And over the last five or six match weeks, they just have not been the same team. I feel like they're not starting Cavani quite as often as they were, but Cavani still does start every once in a while, but that isn't really solving the problem. But Look, all I really have to say about this game is um, I was watching the in-depth highlights. It was really foggy. It was kind of hard to see. And from everything I saw, it was probably for the better because this game was, again, a snoozer. I mean, United, four draws in the last five Premier League matches. Their only win is against Newcastle in those last five. I mean, it's pretty damning. Pretty damning. And they almost lost this one, Kyle. Van Oenholt almost stole it at the end. Uh, De Gea making a good save. I think Van Oenholt tried to go through the legs. So. Right. Uh, man, they were that close. Uh, but you know, they hit Leicester have been in bad form. This is the time for United to solidify second. They haven't done right. that. They haven't taken that chance. So, uh, we'll see if that improves. Uh, Everton went to West Brom, Kyle West Brom, our favorite team, obviously in the premier league and one, one nil. And this is another game. I feel like they Everton didn't play that well, but it's another result. And Kyle with that game, they're up to fifth with a game in hand over Chelsea, which is they're in fourth place. And we'll get to Chelsea in a second, but seemingly the only player on Everton besides Gilfie Sigurdsson, who's been playing pretty decent lately, that's been playing pretty well is Richarlison, who I feel like every game lately has been scoring one goal and 
giving Everton that win, whether it's against Liverpool or their last game or West Brom. So um, Everton, without Hamas yeah. too, handing out results. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that that's what's so promising about Everton because at the beginning of the season, it was all about DCL and James and that new midfield. And, you know, James has scored some nice goals here and there, but has more or less disappeared. DCL is on some bad form as well. I mean, he missed a sitter in this game. Um, but Everton now have Richarlison playing well because he wasn't really at it in the first half of the season. But um, look, not only are they uh, one point behind Chelsea with a game in hand, so if they win that, they jump them by two points. Uh, if they win their game in hand, they're only one point behind Leicester and only two points behind Manchester United, second place. So um, look, it's always a good thing if you don't play well uh, to the point where you actually look like shit and you grind out a win anyway. You know, the best teams always seem to do that or the teams that seem to win title. Uh, win silverware so uh it's it's a good issue if you'll call it that uh for everton to have and um ancelotti just seems to have worked as you know italian defensive magic because uh everton are solid they're solid at the back they're solid and Allen is healthy again and we haven't we didn't really talk about that much but that was a big reason i think now why they weren't playing well in the center of their midfield so they have Dua Corey back. They have Andre Gomez back. They have Allen back, etc. James will be back soon from injury. That depth will be their friend in the stretch here, and they could make a run, Kyle. They could make a run. Um, Spurs today, yes, today they went to Fulham and Craven Cottage and won one to nil, Kyle. And the most interesting part, and you texted uh, a friend and I before the game is that Deli Ali and Gareth Bale both started in the Premier League this season together. And that was the first time they'd started together in the Premier League. And it worked out, Kyle. There was a good counterattack that Gareth Bale started, and it went to Deli Ali, and then I think went to Hungman's son, and then back to Deli Ali for the goal, which I think it was ruled an own goal at the end of the day. But That's a um, shame. Yeah, but still, still that was gen- that generated the goal, and it was a really nice, devastating counterattack. Um, didn't do much in the second half for me, Kyle. I thought Fulham, like we've been talking about uh, a while ago, Fulham played pretty well in the second half, just weren't able to get the finish. Uh, they did get a finish from Josh Maja, aka Sunderland. Uh, Sunderland, what's the documentary called? Sunderland that- uh, Till I Die. <laughs> I Die Hero, right? Uh, until he left. Um, really nice finish but it was a handball that hit Lamina that disallowed the goal and Kyle this was I forget who kicked it was in Dombele or Sissoko I can't remember who it was uh, Sanchez Sanchez of okay that's uh, right Sanchez yeah blasted it off of Lamina and Lamina's hand was on his side like no chance could he get out of the way of that I don't no. think anyone argues that but in this handball rule, so we're not disputing the call because it's technically the right call, but under this rule, a blasted ball that hits the hand that's on your side that you have nothing, no business you can move uh, is a handball, Kyle. And we grew up, you and I, saying that's not a handball because you don't have the time to react or it's in a natural position, as the refs would often call it. So. Kyle, I mean, I don't know how to say it. It's utter bullshit. I mean, it's the right call, but the rule is just so broken that it needs to be fixed because that should be a goal. It's so broken that, look, as a Spurs fan, I desperately needed this win. I wanted this win, and it did not look like it was going that way. Fulham deserved at least a point out of this. But 
that call, like, that even pissed me off, you know, because there's a whole aspect of an accidental handball or what we used to see as, like, ball to hand, you know, that you didn't used to be handball. But, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes it'd be called a penalty if your arm was or your hand were uh, out from, I guess, the center of your of your body, so you weren't making your body bigger. But this, I mean, his arm was literally straight down his side, right in front of him. It's kind of like if you know, you're in a wall and a free kick and the ball's blasted at you and you're covering your nuts, you know, and, and it hits your arm, that's covering your nuts. You know, mm-hmm. in today's game, that would be called a handball. And that, that it, it cannot be how it is. I mean, we've seen a bunch of crazy offsides calls in the, uh, this match week as well. We have this handball, we have the whole Brighton-West Brom thing. I just, the, the use of VAR is just, it's, it's really getting to me and I wish we didn't have to talk about it this much. Uh, it's harsh on Fulham, but again, you got to give them credit because they look good. But you're right. Kane, Son, Bale, Delhi. I mean, if they can all play well, that's the problem, though. There's so many ifs with Spurs. But say those four players start playing well and, you know, Delhi and Bale, the players we know that they can be. I mean, that's pretty scary, honestly. But, you know, it's Jose Mourinho. Jose doesn't like to... <laughs> get the best out of all four of his attackers. He'll focus on Kane or something. So, But you got to say, it's it's scary. And credit to Delhi because he's the one who's played himself into the starting position because I was with Jose on benching him for a while because he's been awful. But uh, he's looked really bright lately. And, um, you know, he deserved that goal. That wasn't actually his, I guess. So, Yeah, and for Tottenham, that's six for six that we said they needed. They need another four points from their next two at minimum. I mean, they should get six, yep. but... Crystal Palace and Arsenal. Crystal Palace and Arsenal. They need at least four to be in contention here. So it's what they did what they expect what we expected them to do. But they had they to do. Yep. Uh moving on to the last game of the week, Kyle. Liverpool lost to Chelsea at home one to nil. So many different things to say about this game, so many different anecdotes. Uh this is this is Liverpool's fifth straight loss at home in the Premier League after going sixty eight unbeaten that we teased in the opener they only scored 0.3 xg in this game which i think is the lowest under jurgen klopp they had the 15th center back partnership this season which was kabak and fabinho i mean they've only played what 26 27 27 games uh so 15 different center back pairings mental um they haven't scored an open league open goal so meaning like from open play they haven't scored a home goal during open play in over 10 hours of Premier League football. Kyle, what the fuck? What is happening? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, my, my thoughts on Liverpool can be perfectly summed up by Jurgen Klopp in his post-match press conference. I don't know if you saw that, but they asked him more or less, like, what's wrong? And he was just kind of like, that's a, that's a, I don't know, it's hard. Like, that was literally what he said, and I'm with him because I don't know what the fuck is going wrong with Liverpool. It's really hard to put your finger on because, you know, I've been talking about their defense being the problem for such a long time, and I still think that's a huge issue without Van Dijk and, and Gomez, but yes, they at least signed some center backs. But now I'm looking at this front three, and it, it's just crazy because for the last, what, three years, it's been one of the best front three in not just Premier League, but, but all of Europe and the world. And it looks like it's going stale. I mean, all three of them are not playing very well. Um, you know, I've been really disappointed with Mane, even though I, I love watching him. I think he's definitely top five players in the world, for, for me at least. 
But Salah has looked really off it. He was yanked to 62 minutes and really did not look happy. But not look happy. He deserved it. He deserved it. He he is not. He's been really poor. And you know they finally have Diogo Jota coming back. So you know Klopp needs answers and he needs to figure something out because at this point, <laughs> you know, like we said, they're they're dropping from likely in for the top four down into like. God, man, they 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 might miss Champions League. Honestly, it's so close enough; they're still in the picture, but it's not looking good. And, no. and I keep on saying it can only get better from here, but it's just not getting better, and it hasn't for five or six weeks. Right, right, and yeah, I mean, we've hit on it a while. How you know, with the defensive frailties, like Robertson and Alexander Arnold can't take the liberties of going forward. But it's more than that. I mean, they're they're there's their front three aren't finishing. It's uh, at the end of the day, they're not finishing the chances that they did the last two seasons. Well, There's, and they also don't have like a creative playmaker as well. So they're they're hoping that their front three plays really well and is firing on all cylinders, and they just haven't for multiple months now. But you know, all that is. I mean, we'll we'll come back to Liverpool in a second because I want to ask you about Everton and Liverpool and where that matches up. But oh. this all feels a little unfair to not even talk about Chelsea. Yes, because we Chelsea did. Chelsea did win this match, and not only did they win this match, they completely dominated. I mean, they were swarming all over Liverpool. Uh, I don't really think 1-0 really tells the whole story. Uh, They had some other chances in this game, and Timo Werner was called back for, again, offsides. Oh, my God. I, 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 you know, in live time, when when I saw that call, I was like, oh, he's definitely on. There's no way he's offside. And... I, I don't know how they draw that line, but or how you can determine that as clear and obvious because because it's not. So you know, twenty minutes into the match, Chelsea should have been one 0 up. It shouldn't have taken as long as it did. But our favorite player, Mason Mount, coming up clutch again. Chelsea's best player of the season for me. I I know we dog in him all the time, but credit he's where been, credits due. He's been great. I mean, him and Olivier Giroud probably it's them too, right? Like into the player of the season conversation. I mean. Great goal, skipping past Fabinho, just keep going right, creating the angle for himself, and just beautiful finish curving into that bottom right corner that was just unstoppable. So great finish from Mason Mount, who's looked really good in the past past two months, but specifically the last month, too. He's been playing really, really well on some decent form. Kyle, I want to hit back on this offside call for a second. It just infuriates me. We cannot fucking draw the line down on defenders' arms when we can't say exactly when the ball was kicked, Kyle. We don't know. We don't have the same preciseness as they do drawing that line across the field of when exactly the ball left the player's foot. So if you, until you can do that, you can't tell me even is offsides because that's essentially what the rule is doing. Even is now offsides, which is against the spirit of play. It's kind of like um, in baseball, um in the u.s like tie goes to the runner and so like if the ball gets there at the same time as the player then the player is safe uh right, the striker should get the benefit of the doubt i mean it should be the same way and that's not what's happening it's completely flipped which is against the spirit of the rule and it's made the game just worse for it really because that yeah, should I mean- be a the striker can't tell. I mean, he's looking down the line. I think Timo Werner thinks that's probably a perfectly timed run, and I don't blame him at all. It was. But, I mean, it was. I mean, they're they're basically treating the offsides rule like it's a black and white issue, but it can't be a black and white issue without exact precision. And then at that point, you have to decide where do you draw the line. 
and that matters. So it it should be a little bit of a gray area. There should be a little bit of flexibility. And like you said, the you know the attacker should get the benefit of the doubt. We shouldn't be using the offsides rule to take away goals or take away things from the game. And that just really bugs me. And I know it was brought in to prevent you know goals that were you know that should have been called off. But I feel like more often than not goals that should be standing are being removed rather than the other way around. It's just... It should be clear and obvious, Kyle. If those lines, those very thin lines, they've become thinner somehow as the game's gone on. Um, if they're overlapping, like, let's just call it, like, not enough evidence to overturn. Like, it's, I don't feel like it should be that hard. Like, any egregious error, it should be clear and obvious until they get the technology to say when the ball left the player's foot. Right. But until then, it's... And, and what I don't, what I don't, what I don't get about it is they've started taking that approach with like handballs. We've seen a lot. Uh, well, I mean, I I know we've seen others that have gone against us, but more and more handballs. I mean, I'm talking about the Fulham one today, but more and more handballs that are clearly accidental are like right in front of people are not being given penalties. There's a little bit of that wiggle room for defenders. Mm-hmm. Why isn't that being applied to the offsides rule? Makes no sense to me. Because it's black and white. Mm-hmm. Stupid. Stupid. Uh, all right, that's all I think. Chelsea playing really well. They've really adapted under that back five. They have six clean sheets out of the last eight Premier League games, and I don't think they've lost under the Tuchel, Kyle. So, um, you know, clearly his impact is being felt. You know, end of January, he comes in. They were ninth in the table, I think, not looking good, and now they've risen all the way to fourth, Kyle. Right, and and it's it's been done in a way by Tuchel that, I mean, you're you're a Dortmund fan. He used to be your manager. At least from everything I've known about Thomas Tuchel and his approach to the game and the taxes he likes to employ, I did not expect Chelsea to become really solid defensively. I've never seen a Tuchel team that has been solid. They've always been very gung-ho and all about passing and possession. So to see them go, you know, six clean sheets in eight matches, it's pretty shocking, honestly. I, I mean, I, I didn't expect that. Sure, maybe five at the back contributes a lot to that, but... Um, still, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of like the Pep Guardiola approach of like the best defense is a good offense, or you just suffocate your, the other team with a high press and you can't possess the ball. So, honestly, I'm impressed. It shows, that, it shows that he can adapt with the players that he has, and he's not stuck and rigid on a system that he thinks will work. He's like, hey, you know, I'm going to, whether I agree or not, it doesn't matter. The results are showing, like, I think my best team is with five at the back that are going to get results that can get me to champions league which will get me funding to get a better team that i want to create and he's done it so far and so full credit to him full credit i mean he doesn't look like the job he's in over his head in the job nope. whereas i think sometimes as much as chelsea fans in the hierarchy love frank lampard he looked a little in over his head so and, I mean, you good know, for Chelsea, good for Tuchel. Said for a while that Chelsea had played a cake schedule so far, and which is why Tuchel had so many results. But, you know, they've played Liverpool now and got a result. And they played Atletico and got a result and looked dominating. Uh, United, they were the better team and probably should have won that game, but they tied. Um, they beat Tottenham, right? So, like, there are some teams there, like real teams that they did beat and kept clean sheets or... And, you know, they have some tough games coming up uh, later in the season as well against City and Arsenal and Leicester and et cetera. So we'll see if they can do that. But they kind of have a cake schedule until then, and they kind of navigated their tough stretch pretty well. So Chelsea look good. They do. They look very promising. But real quick, 
Let's close the show on a really important note and talk about a team that really is not in some good form. Liverpool Football Club, just talking about them losing to Chelsea, deservedly so. 1-0 doesn't tell the whole story. You know, we mentioned a little bit about Everton earlier in the program. Are three points ahead of Liverpool with a game in hand. Mm. Will Everton, Lil Everton, just across Mersey River, River Mercy, I think is how they call it, Will they finish above Liverpool? Because, uh, you know, I keep on saying this whole season I've said it's, it's way, you know, Everton can achieve Champions League football. It, they're just sort of not quite good enough. They're not quite there uh, yet under Carlo Ancelotti. But look, there are only 13 games left in the season. I think Everton have 14 games left in the season. I think they're and, only 11 for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're 38 games, not not uh, 40 games in the season. So, oh, man, it's it's possible. It's possible. possible. So, I, so I will it happen? I can't, I can't say they will until I, I just can't do it. I mean, Everton are so... It's in their history. It's in their blood. I know it's like Carlo Ancelotti's the manager and all of this, but they just don't have this... Man, I, I can't say yes, but I, it's such a tough question, Kyle. Yeah, you're you're totally right. And and Everton are sort of in that similar vein of uh, a vein of Spurs, where it's just like mm-hmm. you expect them to bottle it at some point, or it's just not quite quite going to work out. I mean, I think once in my lifetime I've seen Everton finish fourth. Um, you know, I think I was really young. It must have been like 2004 or something. And back in that day, fourth place had to qualify for the Champions League in a, in a sort of knockout round, and they lost to some team in the middle of bumfuck nowhere in eastern europe or something like that so yeah you you expect everton to sort of fizzle out but all that being said dcl isn't even playing well james isn't even playing well richarlison finally is they've got all in all on back i mean they've they've got a solid group of defenders luca Dina is one of if not the best left back in the league i mean i would put him up there with robertson probably and regulon and Sure, I'm probably missing someone. Chillwell's good, but ah, this season. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Season milk. I don't like milk. Tits has been good. Yeah, yeah. So that's. I don't know. I can. I can actually see Everton finishing above Liverpool. I, I. I wouldn't. I'm not at the point where I would throw money down on that. But I'm really saying that because I. Liverpool, man. It's it's weird. It's really bad and. It's impossible for Klopp to lose his job, in my opinion. I don't think any Liverpool fans would want him to leave. And, you know, my, my dad, for example, is a Liverpool fan, and he's pretty much given the season a pass. You know, he's pissed about the Van Dyke injury, and I would be too, but I don't think uh, any fans or any hierarchy would be too bothered if they didn't finish Champions League. And I feel like that little bit of, I don't know if complacency is the right word for it, but I don't know. I feel like Liverpool's in a weird headspace in, in Everton. They can they can grind it out. So, but I, I need to wait a couple weeks before I put down some money on that. I agree, and I wonder what that's going to do to Liverpool squad if they don't make Champions League. Like, what players will want to leave? I don't know. I you know I would I couldn't see that many wanting to leave. Maybe one or two. Yeah, but yeah. I fascinating wouldn't. stuff. It is. It's never dull in the Premier League, especially of all seasons. I mean, this is the most bizarre season. In, mm-hmm. in recent memory. I mean, the fact that it's this condensed is crazy. I, I mean, 
you know, Arsenal and 10th are really not that far from, <laughs> from fourth place. West yeah. Ham and Everton up there, Aston Villa up there. It's just, what the hell? Crazy. All right, so what do we have looking forward to to look forward to next week? We got uh, we got the Manchester Derby, Kyle. Sunday Sunday morning at eight thirty Pacific. We have Manchester City hosting Manchester United, and then Monday Monday morning at ten a.m. Pacific time, we have Chelsea hosting Everton. So some top of the table clashes, one v two, and I think four v five. Big games, big big games up at the top of the table. Oh, yeah. And, you know, since we're on the West Coast, we're both stoked that these games aren't on at like 4 a.m. Like they have been recently. I don't know what the rent, what the deal is with that. But you know, you want to know what the 4 a.m. games are this week? They were pretty good. Oh, last week. oh the game that I will 100 percent be watching. Go on. Yes. Oh, okay. so Saturday at 430 a.m. We got Burnley hosting Arsenal. So I know Kyle Jensen will be up and at it for Ooh. that. Uh, but the 4 a.m. Sunday might be even better. We got West Brom hosting depleted newcastle united and i wouldn't even watch a full strength newcastle but depleted newcastle that's just i mean we we had this discussion off air how much would you need to be paid to watch to wake up at 4 a.m to watch that game i said 100 and you basically told me i was really cheap (laughs) (laughs) i just don't know if 100 is worth three three plus hours of my sleep i don't know you gotta you gotta value yourself and and i you know i'm not gonna go down to that level and watch that game. No, thank you. So, but City well, United, all I'm hoping for is that it's not nil-nil. Man, it'd be hard to hold City right now to nil. I mean, they've won 21 straight. They've scored a goal in 21 straight, clearly. So, uh, yeah, that's that'll be shocking. But we'll see if Slabhead can do it. Slabhead and co. We'll see. And United can't score a goal either. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Oh man, but that would yeah. be so this year if United goes and wins at the Etihad. I don't know because it's just all messed up. So, yeah, that that would really be this this uh, season in microcosm. So crazy, crazy stuff. And um, I know I'm looking forward to talking about it next weekend. It sounds like we're actually going to try to get on a guest. Yes, we we're gonna, we're trying to get a guest for our our podcast. We're likely we're going to record Monday evening next week, so it'll be released Tuesday morning. So. Hopefully we'll have a guest for you, but we're not going to promise because we don't do that around here. So we keep uh, it, we keep it mellow. We keep it mellow. But until next week, stay safe. Have a great weekend, and we will see you next Tuesday.